0: my mother (laughs) I just want to tell you I've been so blessed this week I read this I can't hold this I've been so blessed this week I've been so happy to read this Way Cohen, you know it has articles in it and they're usually they're so long I don't even read them this is on Annie Rhodes Johnnigan this is Chris Ro. this is Gary Rhodes daughter and she's doing so well she's she 's getting ready for the Olympics pole vaulting it 's an art long article, but you'll enjoy reading it. She's praying, right? Chonk Bluff Baptist. Yeah. So did you all hear that? (laughs) I see some heads like this. Okay. So that that was about Gary Rhodes daughter who sprained her ankle about a month ago. Please be praying for her for full recovery. She gets opportunities to share her faith and share the gospel everywhere she goes. So this isn't just a sports that she's doing so well in and pole vaulting but she this is a platform for the gospel and uh, she's trying out for the olympics she's aiming for that so she this is very serious for her but she also the one of the final paragraphs was all about how her her husband's a pastor and how the greatest thing in her life is knowing and loving the lord and serving him and it's all about jesus and all that so if you haven't gotten awake on you want to read that article it'll bless you Okay, on your tables, I'm not sure. Did everyone get a little slip of paper on your tables that has a few questions on it? It's a little slip of paper. Okay, if you don't. Hi, Dutch. Hello, Dutchess son. Today is Dutch's 85th birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Dutch. South, South Carolina, by surprise. Oh. All right. Good to have you with us. Those of you that went to Israel with us last year will remember the usheries that traveled with us, and these are his parents in law. So, okay, uh, if you don't have on your, on your table a slip of paper, what we're talking about today, in your, at your round your table, we're discussing Hebrews 2, which we read this last week. And the questions are, did, did, what stood out to you? Did the Lord give you insight into any of the verses that you can share with the people at your table? And then the other, ver- the other question is, why did Jesus have to become human in order to purchase our salvation? Why couldn't he have just purchased our salvation as the Son of God? Why did he have to become human? So share that around your tables. And if you're in a fairly small group i think it's mainly where you are linda and y'all maybe can y'all kind of get up and move and share yourselves with other people or is that too hard to do i know it's hard to move maybe we should take a whole table and move to their table so let's begin sharing together okay Hey everyone, are you ready to dive into the word? Do you have some good group discussions at your tables? Good. Yes, ma'am. Good. Terry, we're glad you're here. Good to have you. Is anyone here for the first time? I don't think so. Oh, Yeah, Timmy's husband, Stu. Hey, Stu Abens. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Stu. Been sitting at his table. I forgot he was new. Okay, so I hope you're all open to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 5. And as you have your Bible and hold it or put your hand on it, let's pray over it. Lord, we thank you that your word is living, it's alive, it's active, it's powerful, it's energized. It's able to sort between soul and spirit in our own lives. It discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Lord, as we look into your word, we see a mirror of who we are, and we realize how desperately we need a Messiah, we need a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for us. Holy Spirit, would you breathe fresh life, fresh anointing over your word today, and would you quicken our minds to be able to understand it? Would you open our hearts to receive it, that it will be the engrafted word that will bear fruit in our lives? Lord, we turn our attention onto you. We focus on you. We are open to what you want to say to us today, so speak, Lord, your bondservants are listening, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Attendance sheets, please sign your name on those. Hebrews 2, we're going to start in 5, 5 through 9. For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, which was Psalm 8, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and you set him over the works of your hands, you've put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. So, we saw last week as we concluded our teaching on Hebrews 2 1 through 5, we saw that at the end of all things, as we know them, the earth and the heavens will be destroyed, and God will create a new world. And Jesus will reign as King forever and ever. So, verses 6 through 8 is a quote from Psalm 8. In here, we see that he's actually reflecting back on Genesis 1, where God gave dominion over his creation and put all things under Adam's feet. That's how it started out in Genesis 1. But Adam gave over his rule, his dominion, when he sinned, and so now we don't see all things under man's feet. We'll only see the full dominion of man over creation again in the new earth. And while Jesus was here on earth, he was Lord of creation, but he also stayed within natural laws, like the law of gravity. He overcame them when he wanted to, like when he walked on the water, when he raised a few people from death back to life, when he took a couple of meals and he multiplied them to feed thousands of people. But the Jews of his day did not see him as reigning in in a reigning leadership position. They saw him in a natural, frail body, made of flesh and bones and blood. He needed food, water, and rest like the rest of us. They saw him tortured. They saw him crucified. So when Jesus came the first time, he did not come as a king. He was not seeking political power. He came to redeem mankind through sacrificing his life. He tasted death for everyone, according to verse 9. So the atonement that Jesus provided was universal. Now, I know this isn't all new, but it's good to reflect on this. And that's why the writer of Hebrews was bringing it all back up. He's teaching these these Jewish believers again to remind them of who Jesus is and what all Jesus did. So right now, according to verse 8, we do not see all of earth put under the feet of Jesus. We don't see him reigning now, but we who know him perceive him as crowned with glory and honor because we know he's sitting at the right hand of the Father on the throne of God. He's Lord of creation and he's Lord of everything. But it says there's coming a time when all things are put under his feet. But right now he's in a ruling position. We see him that way, but the rest of the world don't yet see him that way. We're eagerly waiting and persevering until the day when he does rule on earth, even as he does in heaven. And so we pray that prayer. And he said, this is the way you're to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, even as it is in heaven. So verse 10, he says, It was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the author of their salvation perfect, through sufferings. Let's hold hold your place there and, and flip over to Colossians chapter 1. He's Speaking of Jesus here, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. And so in Colossians 1, in verse 15, it says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, which means not that he was born, it means the preeminent one, the preeminent one over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. It's a great passage to memorize so that you can declare it with authority as you're praying the word. Okay, so let's go back to Hebrews 2. So it says, toward the end of that verse, to make the author of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Does that mean Jesus was not perfect? Actually, he was perfect in every way. He was perfect morally. He was perfect spiritually. The Greek word translated perfect actually means complete or mature. And so Jesus had to suffer to bring all things into completion, to bring all things into maturity for our salvation. He did not need to suffer for his salvation because he never sinned. His full obedience, which included suffering, demonstrates that he was the perfect sacrifice for us. Through suffering, Jesus completed the work necessary for our salvation. And if you'll look at Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, similar thought here. Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Does that mean he was disobedient? No, it doesn't. We're going to talk about that in a a minute here. Verse 9, having been perfected, having been completed or matured, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So although Jesus was God's son, he still had to learn obedience through what he suffered. Jesus never sinned while he learned from his trials. We tend to do that, right? We go through a trial, a testing, a temptation, and we cave in. We sin in the midst of it. We have bad attitudes. We say the wrong thing. We do the wrong thing. Our motives are wrong. And then we come back before the cross and we say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I did not act like you in this situation. And we get back on track with the Lord and we have learned from our trial or our test or our temptation and we move on with Jesus. But Jesus never sinned when he went through testings or trials or temptations. He didn't have to learn from them because he never failed in the first place. Jesus was perfect as a baby. He was perfect as a two-year-old toddler, never went through the terrible twos. He was perfect as a teenager. He was perfect as a mature adult. The author Bob Mumford describes it, this concept like this. An acorn is perfect, an oak tree is perfected. So, perfect as an acorn, perfect as a baby, growing all the way through life perfect, never sinning. And then in his maturity, as he died and as he rose again, he was perfected. God wants us to be obedient to him just as Jesus was, where we do not have to sin or fail in the course of of the trials that we walk through. The Greek word translated obedience literally means to hear under. That would be good to write down if you're writing anything. So to be obedient means to hear with a submissive heart, to obey. The Hebrew infinitive for the word to hear is the word lishmoah, and it implies obedience. God never said, listen to what I say and then decide what you want to do about it hear what I say, hear my commands, but obey the ones that you choose. He never says anything like that. When God speaks, there's an implication that we must obey. And so um, obedience is hearing, having an open ear to hear what God's saying, with a submissive heart to obey, we bring our lives under God's rule. We submit to all he says to us. Jesus learned obedience by listening to his father with an attitude of submission. And as he grew up from the from the age of a baby all the way up to adulthood, he never failed, he never sinned, he always listened. He said, I do what I see my father doing, and I say what I hear my father saying. He was so in tune with his... Heavenly Father, they never made a mistake as he went through life. Now that's our goal. That's our calling. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus is to be so submitted to the will of God, with our ears so open to his voice that we hear what he's saying and we immediately comply with it. We say, yes, sir. It's almost like you sense the presence of the Lord, you know he's about to say something, And so you salute him and say, yes, sir, whatever you want to say, my answer is yes. Whatever the command is, my answer is yes. It's like signing a blank check and saying, Lord, you fill it in. Where I live, what I do, who my family members are, what my vocation will be. Lord, I've signed the check. I've made you Lord, and you can fill in whatever you want in that blank check. That's perfect obedience. That's what Jesus did even to the point of death. He complied with everything his father said, and Jesus never failed as he learned obedience. We don't have to fail either. We can obey the first time we hear. The problem is we've grown up in a a culture of we hear, we choose what we want to do, we see that it didn't work out well, so we repent, so then we obey what he says. Look at the time we waste, right? As soon as we hear from the Lord, let's obey. Let's say, yes, sir. Let's do what he says to do. Jesus suffered temptation and death so that he could qualify as our captain and leader. His suffering made him complete as an all-sufficient Savior. He was mature. He was complete through his suffering. He shared our human experience completely. You look at verse 14, Hebrews 2.14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, He himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And then jump down to verse 17. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Devotional author Bob Gass wrote this about suffering. The subject of suffering is a great mystery. Thankfully, we can turn to the Word of God to discover at least a partial explanation. Three types of suffering appear to be clearly defined in the scriptures. Penal, disciplinary, and vicarious. Penal suffering is the result of evil or wrongdoing disciplinary suffering is usually the lot of the righteous that's what we get to go through it tends to temper and sweeten the soul in hebrews 12 we read of a chastening process aimed at bringing us more into line with the will of god vicarious suffering lifts the soul to the highest place of devotion we've known wives to suffer because of husbands we've known husbands that have suffered because of wives We know parents that have suffered because of children. Many times loved ones are drawn to Christ or a more holy Christian life because of the suffering of someone near and dear. Here is where the suffering of our Lord is revealed as to its purpose and nature. He suffered vicariously for us. How grateful we should be to discover someone cared enough to suffer. All right, let's read on in verse 11. Aren't you glad Jesus cared enough to suffer? Verse 11 says, "'For both he,' that's Jesus, who sanctifies, "'and those who are being sanctified,' that's us, "'are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed "'to call them brethren saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Jesus is one with those he saves. In his physical birth, he shared our descent from Adam. He took on flesh and blood. When we are born again, we become members of his family, the family of God. We're adopted by God, and he becomes our father. And Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. I love that thought. He's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed to be related to us, for us to be his siblings. Psalm 22, verse 22 is the verse quoted in Hebrews 2.12. And this verse prophesied that the Messiah would have a congregation, a company of volunteers that are willing to follow him. They would not only be brethren to one another, as we are, but they'd also be brethren to him. The Messiah would declare the Father's name to them. And the word name is the word "onama," and it means nature, character, rank, authority, person. So when he says in verse 12, I will declare your name to my brethren, what it was speaking of prophetically the Messiah that we know Jesus did, he said, I will explain to my brethren who you are, what your nature is, what your character is, what your attributes are, what your traits are. I will reveal you to my brethren. And in the midst of them, I will praise you. Don't you love it? When we praise the Lord, Jesus on his throne next to the Father is praising him with us. I think that's neat. We can picture that this morning as we're all worshiping the Lord together in the gathering. Just picture Jesus on the throne singing right along with us in praise to the Father. Verse 14 and 15, let's read that. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he likewise himself shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus came to set us free. Mankind, mankind who fears death, the fear of the unknown, the fear of what's going to happen after death. He came to set us all free from that with his salvation. He became human so he could reveal the Father to us. He had to die in order to destroy the devil's power over death. And only then could he deliver those who live in fear of death and free them to live for him. So when we are in Christ, when we belong to God, we don't need to fear death. Jesus destroyed the power of death. It is defeated. It's really just the doorway into heaven. I went to someone's uh, memorial service, and by the pictures, there was a plaque that was on a door, representative of the door of that person. And it said, she is not here. She has changed residence. (laughs) And that's what it's going to be like for us. We're just going to change residence and go from this broken, dysfunctional world that's corrupt and filled with sin to a glorious world. In fact, let's read a little bit about that. If you'll go to to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to read the last verses of chapter 20 and the first verses of chapter 21. It's just a picture of our future. Revelation 20, we'll start with verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. So these are those who have transferred the residence. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. So will we be judged? Yes, we will. Our salvation is secure in Jesus, but we will be judged according to our works. By the things which were written in the books, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I wanna make sure our names and the names of our loved ones and our neighbors and everyone we know are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then starting chapter 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So we read about them last week in 2 Peter 3. John the Apostle writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So he saw into the future, he had a vision of what it would be like, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Death has been defeated. Nor sorrow, nor crying, there shall be no more pain. Praise the Lord. For the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You can stake your life on these words. Okay, let's go back to Hebrews 2. That's part of our future. It's going to be a great day. Verse 16. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham is referring to the spiritual seed of Abraham, which includes uh, non-Jews as well as Jews who have accepted Yeshua, Jesus, as their Messiah. Jesus did not take on the nature of angels, and he does not help angels. He actually sends angels to help us who have inherited salvation. He did take on man's nature, and he helps man. Verse 17, Therefore in all things Jesus had to be made like his brethren, that's us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. In the Old Testament, the high priest was the mediator between God and his people. He offered animal sacrifices and blood according to the law for people's sins. And Jesus is now our eternal high priest. He has shed his blood for our sin forever. He's once and for all paid the penalty for all sin by his sacrificial death. And it says in verse 18 that he was tempted. Now, before I go there, let me just say a little bit more about verse 17. He paid for all the sins for all people everywhere. So that means all of our sin, past, present, and future, Jesus has already paid the penalty for. So does that mean that we never need to confess our sin because he's already covered it? No, it doesn't mean that. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's just because he's already paid for it. It's already covered. But we still need to confess our sin before him. We need to repent of our sin. We need to be progressively becoming like Jesus. So in verse 18, in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus was tempted, and it's the Greek word parazo, which does not just mean temptation. It also means testing scrutinizing examining so it says Jesus was tested he was proved he was scrutinized he was tempted and in all of that he did not sin he understands our struggles he understands our temptations and he's able to aid us to relieve us and help us when we are tempted and tested what a Messiah what a Savior And then in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, therefore, therefore, knowing this Jesus, knowing this Messiah, everything he did to purchase our salvation, therefore, holy brethren, you're set apart for God, you believe in him, you trust in him, you belong to him, you're a partaker of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Consider him think about him. Actually, what it means is think carefully about this Jesus. Consider him means to observe him fully, perceive him, discover him, behold him, look on him, fix your mind on him, focus on him. He's the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Man, don't you love him? Don't you just want to serve him with all that you are? You want to worship him, love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? No other religion has a Savior like we do. And we could have been born anywhere and not even heard the gospel. And here we have the opportunity to hear it. The Holy Spirit convicted our hearts, gave us the opportunity to respond to it. We have responded to it, and he has saved us. He is still saving us, and he will save us to the uttermost where we can live in eternity with him in the new heaven and the new earth. So to summarize, I'm going to give you about five points just in summary. Jesus is crowned with glory and honor, and someday he will rule on earth even as he does now in heaven. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He suffered vicariously for us. He learned obedience from what he suffered. This is the third point I have. And he never failed or sinned, As he learned that obedience, he did it right the first time. Obedience means to hear with a submissive heart to obey. For Jesus had to become human to reveal the Father to us. He had to die and rise again to defeat death for us. He paid with his own blood for all sins everywhere for all time. And he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And then lastly, Jesus was tempted like we are, and he can help us when we are tempted and tested. He is a faithful and merciful high priest. What a wonderful high priest we have. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for coming and taking our place. Thank you for being willing to leave the glories of heaven to come as a baby, to live on this broken world, to suffer temptation, to suffer trials, to be crucified. Lord, everything you went through in order to purchase our salvation. Lord, today we want to say we are sorry when we have neglected this great salvation. When we've compromised, when we've gone astray, when we drifted, When we've become lukewarm or even cold, and we have not been passionately in love with the one who saved us, with the Father who adopted us, with the Holy Spirit who secured our salvation. And Lord, today we ask, would you bring us back? We are choosing to come back, but would you also usher us back into a place of passionate love for you, to where you are everything to us. Thank you for giving everything for us. May we do the same for you, to give it all. You gave us your life. Today, Lord, again, we give you our lives. We love you, Lord. May we never forget the tremendous price you paid. Thank you for becoming one of us so that we could become adopted into the family of God. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.